Today is April 25th, 2022. Does everyone has an opinion? My name is Juan. I'm here to talk about everything in the world of boxing. Great weekend in the heavyweight division as far as Tyson Fury is concerned. Tyson Fury completely dominating Dillian White in a successful defense in his home of the UK in front of 94,000. So anytime someone says, hey, boxing, ah, that sport isn't big anymore. Tell them, yeah, you don't think it's big? 94,000 people jam-packed the stadium to watch the heavyweight championship defended by Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury knocked out Dillian White in devastating fashion, hit him with a perfect uppercut, so perfect, in fact, that the announce team could not wait to call it the perfect punch as uh, Tyson Fury drops Dillian White with a vicious uppercut. So vicious, man. That was beautiful. Um, it was so quick and so precise and so fast that I was watching it with a friend of mine and we kind of saw different things at first because it was so quick and so unexpected. I was like, did he just hit him with an uppercut? And my friend was like, I think it was a straight right hand. Like that's how fast it was. The replay confirmed it actually was an uppercut. It was set up beautifully though by a jab, a jab that was just I think thrown out there just to set him up. It didn't look like it was a stinging jab at all. Fury really just laid the jab out there, got White to move and react to it, and then landed a perfect uppercut. That was the third loss of Dillian White's career, and all three losses, believe it or not, are from an uppercut stoppage. A tough way to go out for, for Dillian White. I'm sure he'll be back in the mix, maybe not at the heavyweight championship level, but he'll definitely get another big fight involving someone in the top 10, I'd say. Dillian White himself was probably rated 5 through 7, if you ask most people, in the heavyweight division. So a really solid defense by Tyson Fury. Great performance. He dominated. I thought it would be a little bit more competitive before. I did predict the stoppage, but I thought it would be a little bit more competitive leading up to it. I thought Dillian White would try to get inside, rough him up a little bit. That did not happen at all. He came out the first round really confusing to me. He came out in the southpaw stance. I personally have never seen him in the southpaw stance ever in the fights that I've watched, the announcers seem to think the same thing when they were confused by it as well. And I think it was enough to win the first round. It was just a confusing decision overall. And he didn't dominate by any means, but I think he did a little bit a little bit more than what Tyson Fury did in that first round. After that, though, I thought it was all Tyson Fury all the time. Really mixing it up to, to using all of his um, skills, using his size, kind of mauling him at times, but then again, pawing away with the jab. And just outclassing him before landing that vicious shot. Dillian White, though, no game plan to speak of. That first round was confusing. Came out southpaw and then didn't go southpaw again throughout the fight, which was weird. So it was like, what was the point of that first round? What was your game plan? And why wasn't it executed? Because he didn't really do anything to deter Tyson Fury's game. But big win for Tyson Fury. He claims he's retiring. I hope not because... Well, as far as being a man, as far as being a human being, I totally understand why he'd retire. I mean, I don't blame him. Make, you made so much money in the sport. Save it, live off of it, and you'll be fine. And do things like he, like he alluded to after the fight. Do like exhibitions with UFC fighters or any other combat sport and try to generate money that way for easy, um, easy sparring and easy on your body. I mean, I don't think he's in any danger boxing a UFC fight so I think that would be a much smarter way to go make millions that way and you don't have to put your body through as much trouble and don't risk your life uh, like you do in a boxing ring 
So I totally understand it from that standpoint. But from a legacy standpoint, I do want him to continue because I do think he can go further. A lot of people, after this fight, which was confusing to me, people calling him top five or top ten. That's like, wait, like I don't think he's top five or top ten. I will say, like I did in my last podcast, if you heard that, you know that I gave Tyson Fury tons of credit. I think all time he would match up very well with most heavyweights all time. That's all I'm saying. I think he would be a tough matchup for a lot of them. He's so big and so skilled and so awkward and so technically sound as far as guys that big have guys that big have no business moving like Tyson Fury does. Not only is he is he moving differently, he's he's defensively sound. He has a jab. He can go to the body. He also has the charisma like sky's the limit for this guy. So I do think he would be a tough matchup for anyone in history. I'm sh- I'm not saying he'd beat everyone though. I'm saying he would definitely lose a few fights, but he would be competitive. He would be in the upper echelon. But I just can't say he's top five or top ten even ever because he hasn't done enough. If you look at his historical victories, he has a victory over Klitschko, who was in the middle of his dominant run. So that is a great victory. He dethroned Klitschko. And then he beat Deontay Wilder, dethroned another guy who was on a dominant run. I believe Deontay Wilder had 10 uh, title defenses before running into Tyson Fury. So those are two great victories. And then he beat Wilder a couple times. So that's three, I guess, great victories. But as far as defenses, he only has two in his career. Two title defenses in his career. Think about that. I posted the other day. And this isn't everyone. This isn't uh, the all-time list. This is just a number of guys that come to mind when you discuss heavyweight boxing. Especially here in the United States. Title defenses. Tyson Fury. Two. Anthony Joshua has seven. Evander Holyfield, guy who came up from Cruiserweight, had seven. Mike Tyson, most people's favorite, had nine. Deontay Wilder, who I mentioned earlier, had ten. Lennox Lewis had 14 heavyweight title defenses. Muhammad Ali, now you're getting to a different echelon here. Muhammad Ali had 19. That's why this dude is considered by many the greatest of all time. And then Joe Lewis, another guy who people bring up when talking about the greatest heavyweight of all time. Joe Lewis had 26 title defenses. The Brown Bomber. Like, what are we talking about? 26? That's insane. I'm not saying Tyson Fury needs 20 defenses to be considered a top 10 guy. But I am saying saying he needs more than two. He definitely needs more than two. He's got to get in that five to seven range to even be considered. Like, defend that title. Prove that you're the best. Two defenses, man, that's not cutting it. We're too quick in this in this uh, generation to throw out GOAT stuff. GOAT. This guy's the GOAT. That guy, oh my God, he's the GOAT. Nah, to be the GOAT, you got to do some stuff that other dudes are not doing. you got to do stuff that's unrealistic. Like Michael Jordan winning two three-peats in a row. Two three-peats. Six rings. That's unrealistic. That's not real. And that guy did it. That's GOAT stuff. To be a GOAT, you got to do stuff people aren't doing. Two title defenses, my man, that isn't enough. Tyson Fury, you're a great heavyweight, greatest of all time, not even close. Stick around for your legacy, if you want to be considered that. Stick around and fight guys like the winner of Usyk Joshua for an undisputed title. That is a huge legacy fight. The winner of that will have more belts, will have all the other belts. So bring it together with Tyson Fury's WBC belt 
and create a unified, undisputed champion of the world. The last time the heavyweight division had that, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, was Lennox Lewis in the early 2000s. I'm pretty sure that was the last undisputed champion in the heavyweight division. Klitschko went on a dominant run. I do not believe he was ever undisputed, though. He was missing one of the belts. I'm not sure which one, but he was not undisputed. Wilder was dominant. He had that WBC belt. Joshua's had belts for a while. He's got seven defenses, but then he lost his belt a couple times. So, Fury, you want to be, I'm not saying you'd definitely be all top five, but you want to keep moving up the all-time list, become undisputed. Fight the winner of, of Usyk Joshua 2, and then uh, fight a guy like Joe Joyce. Guy Joe Joyce isn't that young. He hasn't been on the scene very long because he had a long amateur career, but he may have one of the best jabs in in boxing, period. He has a power jab. He has a very devastating jab. I want to see. He's very slow, but he does have an insane jab. I want to see how Tyson Fury fights him. I want to see that matchup. That's that's an intriguing matchup for me. The Juggernaut versus the Gypsy King. That would be a great fight. Also, you want to. We talk about super heavyweight status. This guy's so big. Guys like six nine. Fight the the young. Huge guys that coming up, the Olympians from the 2016 Olympic team. Uh, one won the gold, I believe. Tony Yuka won the gold medal. And then Philip Ergovic won either, I think he's the Croatian. Philip Ergovic is Croatian. He won the bronze or the silver, I'm not sure. Bronze or silver medal. So you got two Olympians. Both these guys are 6'6". Both of these guys are very technically sound. Both of these guys have power. I want to see Tyson Fury test himself against these young lions that are not as big as him, but they're pretty damn big. They're bigger than most of the average heavyweights in history. Six six guys with Olympic pedigree. That is a match. We talk about styles make fights. Fight a smaller guy like Usyk who can move. Fight a juggernaut, just hard hitting puncher who can take a punch, like Joe Joyce, and then fight these younger Olympic pedigree guys that are just, or not just as big, but really big, 6-6. Fight these guys, that's four fights right there. Then you're talking about, okay, now we got to look at Fury and say, okay, he's, he's fighting different generations. He's fighting the best available. He's fighting undefeated guys. Then you'd have to say, Tyson Fury, hey, he might be a top 10 all time, but you got to prove it. We can look at guys like Boots Ennis, who the eye test tells us, yo, he might be, he's very tough to beat. I can't see guys beating him. But... I'm not going to say this guy's a top five all-time welterweight. No, he's got to prove it. Hopefully, he can prove it. You've got to prove it. Tyson Fury, all I'm saying, my man, you're great. Want to be all-time? You just got to prove it. But that's enough for the heavy, of the heavyweight division right now. Let's talk about the fight that's going to take place this weekend, this Saturday. The What are we at? The 31st already? This month is flying by. Let me double-check that. Yeah, this fight will be... The 30th, excuse me, the 30th, Saturday on ESPN. The super featherweight championship of the world, 130-pound division. Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson are coming together for a unification match. Both undefeated, both in their prime, both are champions. Again, we talk about it all the time. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I talk about it all the time, and I'm going to continue to talk about it. Boxing is in such a great place I have to keep bringing it up because it's it's so slept on that we're getting these matchups almost every week. The times of saying the best don't fight the best, those are done. That's a thing of the past. 
in 2022, the best are fighting the best almost on a weekly basis. This is clearly one versus two, not even debate of who, we don't even know who three would be. Like, that's how clear it is. These are the two top guys in the division. They're coming together, and they're going to make history. They're going to unify that division. They're actually fighting for the Ring Magazine belt. The Ring Magazine isn't an official belt, but I actually think it's a decent, it's a decent um, measuring stick for who the best in the division really is. Sometimes they get it wrong, of course. They're not perfect by any means. They have a lot of flaws in their ranking systems and things like that. But for the most part, the, the best champion, um, the clear-cut champion in each division will have the ring magazine. A good example is the welterweight division. Who's the ring magazine champion? There isn't one because there's a huge debate between Ter- Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence. These guys are going to meet, hopefully, this year, as it seems, and then that belt would be on the line. So that belt is on the line for this division because Valdez and Shakur are clearly the two best. Like I said, two undefeated champions, styles clash. One guy is a power puncher, brawler type, and another guy is a wizard, defensive wizard, very tactical in Shakur Stevenson. So on paper, the matchup is great. In reality, I don't think it's that competitive. Let me explain why. That may confuse some people. That People may think I'm crazy. Let me know what you think. This is just my opinion. Remember, everyone has an opinion. The fight can go any way, any which way. I'm just giving you my perspective. I don't think the fight is going to be competitive. Why? Because I think Valdez is a very good fighter. But some things that are going on in his... I think it's a combination. Some things going on in his personal life where he tested positive for a substance. Um, it was a diuretic. I don't know the exact name of the substance. You'd have to look it up. He tested positive for a banned substance, right? Is allowed because of a technicality in, I believe it was Arizona. There was a technicality where he could test positive because the, the sanctioning body or the, the organization that tested him wasn't the sanctioning body that was doing the fight. Something along those lines. So he tests positive, but is still able to fight, still able to defend his championship. So he has the scrutiny of the public saying he's a cheater, saying um, he took those purposely because it's it's something that helps you lose weight. This guy fights at 130 pounds as a grown adult man. So you can't tell me he doesn't need a little help losing weight. It's very probable he took this on purpose. because of Why? Because it's going to help him in his, his career, really. It's going to help this guy lose weight. That's one of the hardest things to do as a boxer is to cut weight, to make weight. So... Anyway, he's dealing with the public outcry and people calling him a cheater and stuff like that. So he goes into this fight. I watched the fight on replay. I did not watch it live, but I did watch the fight on replay. The fight was not competitive. The fight with Oscar Valdez being clearly outboxed, in my opinion. The three judges who were working the time that they scored the fight, that was their job, that was their career. To me, they're just bad at their job. They all gave it to Oscar Valdez. I'm not saying it was a robbery. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I just think they were very bad at their job. That's that's all I can say about them. I saw Robin Consacio win the fight clearly. I would say something like eight rounds to four. It was that. It was that much of a one-sided fight, in my opinion, from where I was sitting. Maybe I'm biased. 
again, there's people on Twitter that said, I have something against Mexican fighters, so maybe I'm biased. But in my opinion, dude got outboxed. Whatever. So he has the, in his mind, in your mind as a human being, you know when you're losing at something, when you're, you're coming up short in any area, whatever the case is, you know it in your, in your mind, whether you're going to admit it or not. Oscar Valdez, deep in his mind, knows he lost that fight to Conceso. He got gifted a decision. So he knows he lost. He knows he didn't perform well. He even caused it a horrible performance. He knows that. His face was fucking marked up. Excuse my language. His face was marked up. Um, battered. Guy got outpunched. Outboxed. It, it wasn't close. He knows that in his head. Also, he knows he tests positive. Whether he did it on purpose or not. You be the judge of that. In my personal opinion, I think... If you're a professional athlete making hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars at your profession, you're at the top of the game as far as this guy's a world champion in his division. He's undefeated 30 fights in. This guy has done something in the sport of boxing as a professional athlete. He's at high status. If you're that high of status and you know you have a banned substance program, you cannot take certain things. I do not care if it's this Arizona green tea to the right of me. If that, if that contract says I cannot drink Arizona green tea, ironically, I'm actually drinking a green tea, and Valdez did say, hey, maybe it was something to my herbal tea. But anyway, I'm drink- if, if the contract I sa- signed says I can't drink this Arizona green tea, and I go ahead and drink it, that's on me. Like You should know what's going into your body and what's, what's contractually obligated not to be in your body. You should know that. As a pro athlete. I mean, how many times do we hear these stories? Oh, I don't know how it got in my body. Do you believe all these guys? I don't. Do you believe that was his first time doing it? I don't. He comes from a camp, Eddie Reynoso's camp, that had other fighters testing positive. These are just facts. I'm just telling you that factually, other guys in that camp in the past, multiple, have tested positive for banned substances. And they blame things like meat and things like that. Oh, the meat I had was tainted. Oh, maybe it was a tea I drank. Listen, I'm not just going to believe anything I hear. I'm not believing that dudes don't know how it got in their system. I'm just not. So Valdez knows he did something he wasn't supposed to do. He got caught. He knows that he got outboxed. He's going to go into this fight with his confidence really, really low. And I think that is a recipe for disaster. He is in the wrong place at the wrong time because Shakur Stevenson is a blue chip athlete, one of the best technical boxers on the planet right now that's right now how good is this guy going to be in a few years i think this is the perfect way to show and it's on espn this is a great platform the week of week of the draft in the draft city huge platform for shakur stevenson to become a huge star i think he's already growing slowly slowly i think this is his chance to really blow up on the mainstream level more than a, a million people will be watching this fight, guaranteed. Going by historical ratings for these nights and things like that, this is going to do a big rating. I expect a showcase from Shakur Stevenson. I expect him to beat Valdez so bad that he eventually quits. And maybe he won't, maybe it won't be a literal, hey, I give up. But there's other ways to quit. I always use Conor McGregor, poor guy. I always use that guy as... Um, an example of quitting without saying, you know what, I quit. When he's 
in the middle of a UFC fight. And he's getting beat up by Nate Diaz. And it happened another time, I forget. But it definitely happened against Nate Diaz where he gives his back up. He gives you his back. Basically giving you his neck. Saying, you know what, choking me out. I have nothing for you here. End this fight. Because that's the weakest part of his game. So I think Valdez will do something similar where, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to throw. Maybe he just doesn't want to let his hands go. And he just keeps a, um, the high guard while Shakur is teeing off on him. Maybe it's something like that in front of the ref where the referee says later in the fight, like, hey, listen, we, we got to stop this fight. This guy's taking too much punishment. Valdez has been a warrior in the past. But that's another reason why I think it's a, when I said it's a combination of things, this is another this is another piece to that pie because I think the wars that he's been through, he's dogged out fights with a broken jaw. This guy is a very tough dude. This guy definitely has heart. I'm not saying he doesn't. But I'm saying this point of his career and the things he's going through, even though he may have inflicted them himself, I think mentally it's going to be a lot of strain plus dealing with the game plan, plus dealing with a tricky guy like Shakur Stevenson. It's just a recipe for disaster. The guy's been through many wars, though. He's been He's been... Down big on the cards, came back with a knockout victory. He's never lost. Um, his fight against Brichelt, he was the underdog in that one as well. And Brichelt was known as the boogeyman of the, of the division at that time. And Valdez destroyed him. Knockout of the year candidate, absolutely destroyed him. Beautiful left hook, and that is his bread and butter, the left hook. And that's another reason why I think he doesn't have enough tools in his arsenal to confuse Shakur Stevenson. He has a great left hook. But if I'm sitting here on my couch telling you about his great left hook, Shakur Stevenson certainly knows that the left hook's coming, and he should, he's certainly uh, game planning to stop that. I believe he can, Shakur's a southpaw, so I believe the best path to really deter that left hook would be pumping that jab very often, early and often, being busy with the jab, and everything comes from Shakur's footwork after that. His footwork... Not only is it better than Valdez, it is one of the best in the sport of boxing. Guy uses very subtle movement. You have to pay attention to this guy. There's actually there's a guy on YouTube that actually can explain it a little bit better than me. I actually watched his video not too long ago. I stumbled upon him when I was just looking. Because Shakur Stevenson's footwork to me is top notch. You actually just type in Shakur Stevenson footwork. That's the name of the video. Uh, the Daily Effect TV is the name of the guy on YouTube. Shout out to him. Does a great job. He's a boxing trainer. I'm not sure of his real name. He does a great job explaining Shakur's footwork. It's just subtle movements to the point where you think it's so good because it's nonstop too. It's, when you think he's in one place, he's in the other. When you th he stays in such close range to you, mind you, he has the he has the height and reach advantage on you. He stays in such close range to you. You think it's okay. You think he gives an illusion. You think he's in range to punch. By the time you make the decision to punch. Shakur is already out of that range. He's already out of that position. You're too late. It's chess to him. He sees the game very slowly. And he works at a fast-paced rate at the same time. He sees what you're doing well before you know it. So he'll, he'll stand in a pocket. A pocket will form, and he'll stand there, and you think it's okay to throw. And you're swinging at air because Shakur has already made a subtle. It doesn't even look that, that quick or that drastic. It's just subtle. Take a little step to the left. He's out of your range. And you're still in his range because he has the reach advantage on you. He has the reflex advantage on you. He has the speed advantage on you. He is going to pick Valdez apart. I think early on, he's just going <clears> to <throat> kind of read Valdez, maybe for two rounds. But he's going to keep that jab flowing. That jab is going to be flowing from round one. 
Everything else may take a little time to fall into place. But I believe around 7, 8, 9, it's going to get really, really one-sided in there. And there's going to be nothing Valdez can do. I just don't see anything besides that left hook that can really change the course of the fight. And to land that, he's going to be very um, disguising with it. And Eddie Reynoso is a good trainer. I've got to give it to him. He, he's going to come up with a game plan. I'm just not sure how well Valdez is going to be able to execute it under this type of mental stress that he's going to be under. Because trust me, it's going to be very difficult just to even think while Valdez, excuse me, while Shakur Stevenson is just boxing circles around you very subtly, <laughs> very, before you know it, you're down four rounds to nothing. And then you're getting desperate. That's where I think Shakur just picks him apart. But uh, the left hook, back to the left hook. He's got to do something <clears throat> really tricky with it, really unorthodox. He's got to be really creative with the way he lands the left hook on, on Shakur because Shakur's defense is tight. He's going to keep his hand up there uh, blocking that, that left hook at all times. That right hand is going to is gonna be right back back home after he throws the jab. He's going to bring it right back, boop, block the left hook. So Valdez, I would say, try to maybe not throw it for the first round and a half, two rounds. Don't even throw the left hook. Get him to think of something else. Get his mind, get Shakur's mind somewhere else. Throw him off his game. Maybe even use your back foot, Valdez. If you have a back foot game, he does have a little bit of a back foot game, but I don't know if that would work either, but try something different. Uh, just coming forward, throwing left hooks is not going to work. So maybe go a couple rounds without it and then bring it back later. But it's hard. It's easy for me to say. It's easy for anybody to say something when you're addicted. This guy's addicted to throwing his left hook. It's his bread and butter. It's his biggest punch. It's devastating. It's won him many fights. So of course he loves it. But anyone who loves something, you could tell, I could tell myself, yeah, I'm going to eat healthy from now on. Every day, I'm just going to eat clean every day. But football Sunday does come. And that pizza is definitely getting ordered. Like I can tell myself I'm going to do something, but I have a habit of doing something else. We all have habits. They're very tough to break. Oscar Valdez has a habit of throwing that left hook often. And it's worked out for him tremendously throughout his career. He's had a very successful career using the left hook. I do not think it's going to be an option for him unless he gets creative with it. Shakur knows it's coming. That's his biggest punch. That's his best punch by far. And I don't think Shakur is just going to let you land on him like that. Not a guy of his defensive prowess. Not a guy who studies the game like him. He's in there training um, on a weekly basis with guys like Terrence Crawford. Um, Top-level competition in the gym. Caleb Plant. He's, he's always boxing with top dudes that's the difference this guy may not have the resume yet but what he does in real life what he does behind the, the curtain what he does um in sparring when he's sparring guys we've heard stories of him and lomachenko him and Devin haney him and tank supposedly have sparred. him and all these guys uh, tfimo lopez all these guys came up together and sparred with each other and kept themselves sharp american boxing that's why people think i'm just being uh typical american no i actually believe we have the most skilled guys i actually think it's crazy to not agree because these guys there's so many of them and they all hang around each other iron sharpens iron we all know that so these guys shakur stevenson staying in the gym with these top level guys um with different styles is only going to work out for him it's only going to become apparent to the world Saturday night because Saturday on ESPN 
in my opinion, I mean, Vegas kind of agrees with me too. The, the odds are a little, a little one-sided, especially for a, a two-champion fight, both guys undefeated. Vegas clearly favors Shakur. I clearly favor Shakur. I don't think it's going to be competitive, but we shall see. Anything can happen in the sport of boxing. That is not the only fight this weekend. That is the biggest fight this weekend, but there is also another massive event. Uh, I cannot understate it. The, the Women's Championship of the World, the Undisputed Championship of the World, is going to be defended in the main event at, Mar- at Madison Square Garden, the first ever female main event at Madison Square Garden. This is a big deal. This is going to be awesome. We got Katie Taylor undefeated defending the IBF, the WBA, the WBC, the WBO, and the ring lightweight championship of the world. Undisputed. First time ever. Two women are going to sell out the garden. This is already sold out. This is the main event. 20 and 0 is Katie Taylor. Really good boxer from Ireland. I've actually seen her in person in Boston one time for a, uh, she was on the co-main. <clears throat> she definitely had a good, really good following, and it's only grown since then. And then you got, she's fighting Amanda Serrano. Amanda Serrano, the Puerto Rican, one of the best female fighters of all time. Southpaw, she is just a menace. She is coming in, I believe she's 42-1. and one. Yep, I'm looking right now. 42-1 and one in her loss. I believe it was a very long time ago. Let me double. Let me check this while I'm looking at it right now. This is uh, me working on the fly here. I'm looking this up as I'm recording it. 14 and one. So her first loss was her 15th fight of her career. <clears throat> that was in 2012. So 10 years since since she's lost. Since then she's been dominating. This is going to be a tremendous matchup. This is going to be an all action fight. Amanda Serrano throws throws tons of punches. Katie Taylor very good. Um, solid fighters, very tough. I've seen only a few of her fights, but I have seen her, in my opinion, get beat up by, I think it was Pearson. Pearson, let me find this. Yeah, Delphine Pearson. That was back in 2019. She lost to Pearson, and then she, she rematched. I mean, I, I thought she lost, but it, it, technically it was a majority decision victory for her. And then she rematched Pearson in 2020 and beat her unanimously. It was definitely a one-sided affair in the rematch. But I just say that to say, so I saw that Katie Taylor was a little bit vulnerable. And I think Serrano can can definitely cause her some problems. I pick Serrano in this fight. But I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge women's boxing fan by any means. I have seen these two women fight a few times. And I enjoy both of them fighting. I think this is going to be a really fun action fight. Uh, women's, fighting, women's boxing is only two-minute rounds. So I think they can kind of pack a little bit more action in there. Um, a lot of people argue for the three rounds. They'd say there'd be more knockouts, potentially. And I believe that. Fighting longer, obviously, girls are going to be more fatigued. Things like that. But the two-round system, as it stands, I think it really favors Serrano. Serrano throws a lot of punches. I think Serrano is going to win this fight. I hope she does win it. You know I'm back in the Puerto Rican. And you know that Jake Paul needs to get a shout-out on this. A lot of people were saying Jake Paul is so bad for boxing a few years ago. Or even last year. But Jake Paul is the reason why we're getting this event. Jake Paul promotes Amanda Serrano, came together with Eddie Hearn, who promotes Katie Taylor. They made a massive fight, the biggest fight on paper in women's boxing history, and it's selling out the Madison Square Garden. That is so enormous. I'm so proud of these two women pushing the sport further. That's just so dope to me. 
huge year for boxing and this is just another example of how huge it is so this is going to be on earlier in the night this will actually be on well before the Shakur card even begins um, on this undercard you do have a fun fight Jesse Vargas taking on Liam Smith so I think that is just a fun fight at 154 not huge stakes right now but the winner will have a big win in a loaded division that is my favorite division in boxing 154 super welterweight for the simple fact that all guys in that division are a little bit vulnerable they can all be beaten they all fight each other they all have a loss to each other it's just so it's so fun because you really don't know what's going to happen next in that division we have a we had a great fight earlier in the year lubin and fundora in that division to me that's the front runner right now for fight of the year and we have a fight of the year candidate from last year rematching this year and that is charlo versus castaño too that is for undisputed at 154 so that division is on fire the winner of liam smith versus vargas will be in the mix because beating each other would definitely be a big win for either of them especially for vargas coming up moving up in that in that division so either way that'll be a fun action fight that's on the undercard of the katie taylor amanda serrano fight that is on his own like i said that's earlier in the night and later on espn you obviously have shakur versus Valdez, unification title fight, and uh, Keyshawn Davis will be making his appearance on that card. I believe it's the co-main. I'm not 100% sure on that. But Keyshawn Davis, one of the best lightweights in the world already, consensus. Everyone who's seen this kid, this kid believes a former Olympian has got the goods. He's in there with a guy who I do not know much about. I'm not even sure of his name. I know he's from Mexico. I know he has a good record, but the guys on his record didn't have a good record <laughs> so we'll see what he brings um i expect Keyshawn to run through this guy whoever he is no disrespect to him but Keyshawn is just on another level right now and he's not really being matched with the top guys yet but they're talking like that could be in the near future for him that is how good he is he only has about four pro fights that's how good he is when you consider people are already calling him one of the best lightweights in the world and lightweight is a very stacked young talented division we just want to see these guys mix it up. That's the issue with that one. When you're comparing lightweight to like a 154 like I was talking about earlier. But that's about it for this weekend. Tons of great fights. Should be an awesome weekend. Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, DeZone, Shakura Stevenson, Valdez on ESPN. And the good thing about this is both networks have agreed they're not going head-to-head. So DeZone will be earlier and the West Coast one, the Las Vegas fight, will be later. Let's just hope it leads to a great night of boxing. We've been spoiled as of late. So let's just try to keep that train rolling. Let's keep the good fights rolling. And I'm going to be here every single week to break them all down. So please stay tuned. Subscribe. Leave me that five-star review. Because like Booker T once said, it is all about the five. I'm out.